I'm Scott. I'm Bill. And, and we're, we're the, the Trade, Trade Guys. Guys. You're listening to The Trade Guys, a podcast produced by CSIS where we talk about trade in terms that everyone can understand. I'm H. Andrew Schwartz, and I'm here with Scott Miller and Bill Reinch, the CSIS Trade Guys. And the beat goes on with President Donald Trump in Mexico, as Mexico could approve the new USMCA as soon as next week. All on the aftermath of President Trump's threats to use tariffs against Mexico. Tariffs are a beautiful thing when you're the piggy bank. When you have all the money, everyone is trying to get our money. Meanwhile, with USMCA seemingly on the right track, the president then said he was ready to levy another round $300 billion of tariffs on Chinese imports. The China deal is going to work out. You know why? Because of tariffs. We'll talk about all that and more on this episode of The Trade Guys. Gentlemen, we've been chatting here amicably, and we may have left it all in the locker room, but, but here goes. Mexico, the aftermath of the You Smack a Smackdown, President Trump said yesterday, we're talking today as Tuesday, yesterday being Monday, he said tariffs are a beautiful thing when you are the piggy bank. I have no idea what that means. Well, well I think I know what it means. Scott, do you know what it means? Well, look, I Who's think- Who's the piggy? Why the, is the, the piggy? We're the piggy bank because everyone runs a trade surplus with us in the president's view. So when we cut off our economic power, they can't raid the piggy bank anymore. Right. I think I think that's what that means. I think uh, what he means also is right. he, he threw his weight, he threw the weight of the United States of America at our neighbor to the south, and they acquiesced. Well, yeah. I mean, look, we had a three-act opera here, and uh, while the fat lady didn't sing, the, yeah. the, the orange man did tweet at the end. All right? <laughs> so that happened. Okay. <laughs> the orange man did tweet. And there That's may right. be still an act four, there too. May, there may still be continuance of this. This is a new operatic term. The orange man tweeted. Yeah. And so, yeah. but but if you got to look at it, you got to look where we were a week ago, Andrew. Yeah. We were talking, we recorded on June 3rd, and the markets were very uneasy. All right. right about all this, and there was nervousness about what this meant, and everybody was trying to sort it out. People well, losing a lot of money too. Well, here we are, but keep in mind. But you the, said you said that that was not a long term thing, and that that I, was going to turn around. Well, you said that on our last podcast. I did say that, and I want to point out that by fr- when close Friday, so this is the week of June third, right? Close on June seventh. The markets were up over 4%. Correct. They were up another half percent yesterday. Right. So there's been a rebound, probably for other factors. But once again, the market seems to shrug off nervousness. Right. Technology rebounded. And the the Fed policy. Rallied. Fed uh, policy. uh, Created a a benefit to stocks. But in any case. uh, But also, there's not nervousness and uncertainty about our situation with Mexico as there was last week. Right. That, that has been resolved, at least to the president's satisfaction at the moment. There still is, uh, you know, a sense that U.S. Un- uncertainty about U.S. policy is going to affect capital investment. It's going to affect decision making, but it's very hard to find that. It's very hard to read that. As we talked before, you don't really know when somebody doesn't make a decision to buy a piece of equipment or invest in a factory. Right. So. Yeah, I'm not sure everybody's persuaded. I mean, the client question I got yesterday was, how long is this going to last? Right. And is it going to come back? Should we make contingency plans? Is what going to come back? Uh, more Mexican tariffs. Were you surprised, Bill, that Mexico's president, AMLO, acquiesced so quickly? He caved. 
Um, he's a pretty tough guy. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, he's done that all the way along. He, he's right. taken a very conciliatory approach. He seems to have decided that given that you're, you know, you have a big neighbor and and uh, a president who is the one we've got, that that's the best way to handle it rather than to stand up to him. Probably is the best um, way to handle it. Well, unless you want to subject yourself to a world of pain, which is what will what will happen if you cross Trump. Uh, so I, I think he's probably taken he's taken a mature approach. It seems to be paying off in 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 Mexico at least so far. His, his polling looks pretty good. His polling is very high. His approval ratings are very high. He has a, a stronghold on his electorate. People are, are, are overwhelmingly for him in the 70s and the 80 percent approval rating. But is he just humoring the president? Is he really going to do anything? One of the debates has been how much did he really promise to do? Right, and that's not fully out yet. Yes, we, we don't really know. It appears that there was at least more, at least in terms of, of Mexican National Guard presence at their southern border. There are a few additional things and also apparently an agreement that asylum seekers from Central America, if not processed immediately, would wait in Mexico rather than waiting in detention facilities or in within the United States. Uh, so there, But it's, it's not all that clear. But what it is is clear enough that at the moment the administration is much more frustrated with the Congress than they are with the government of Mexico. Uh, I would note also today with regard to the problems with our own asylum law that uh, Chairman Lindsey Graham of the Senate Judiciary Committee is holding a hearing today on a bill of his. One of the changes in that bill for asylum policy is that Central American asylum seekers would need to make their claim at home at a U.S. embassy or consulate and not at the U.S. border. So if you're in Guatemala and you want to seek asylum in the United States, you need to make that claim at the U.S. Embassy in Guatemala. Right. Which, um, which, if it's a legitimate asylum claim, is about you know three or four thousand miles closer than you know hiking across Mexico. But that seems reasonable. Well, and and so uh, it does seem reasonable. Congress no, it's not. has not acted on it. And, and why is it not reasonable? You're asking Guatemalans or Hondurans to go to a foreign embassy and let everybody in their country know what they're trying to do. And you're asking them to claim asylum while they're still in the country. Uh, nobody's going to do that. Well, at okay. the moment, they're walking Good point. They're walking 3,000 miles and, and entering well, the U.S. Whatever uh, happened to, you know, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. This will probably be controversial. Bill's, Bill's correct in that. No immigration bill can easily be amended because everybody's got issues they want to glom onto it. And, dis- and despite the fact of Senator Graham's action, there's no action in the House. So this, of course, is exactly why the president is frustrated on the issue. But today, uh, yesterday, uh, Vice President Pence said we're, we're getting great support from the government of Mexico and no support from the Congress. So that's the way they're framing well, what, the what debate is, at this point. What is the president doing here, though, to lead? Well, I was just going to say one of the, what he's not doing is anything to actually address the problem. Right. That's what I'm um, asking. In fact, they're cutting back the program. There are some programs via the State Department. Right to uh, help promote growth and development uh, and democracy in these other countries. So they don't want to leave and they're cu- in the first place. Well, yes. So the, the, the conditions that prompt them to leave, whether they're political repression or simply lack of economic opportunity, uh, so those conditions are, are less present and they stay there. Uh, that's the long-term solution. Those programs are being cut back. And those programs budget. are in the millions of dollars, not the billions of dollars, right. correct? Yes. So they were not that a, big to begin with. Not huge. And, and we're reducing them. So I think we end up in a situation where the Mexicans are going to put people at the Guatemalan border, that's fine. And then people will sneak across that river just as they sneak across the the Rio Grande. Uh, 90 days from now, you know, we're going to be 
not all that different from where we are now. The numbers will go down, I'm reasonably confident, and they won't be zero. And, and they, this, they this are today be at a several-year high. And, yes. Okay, and they'll be probably be down from that. The step that wasn't agreed that Mexico Mexico was was asked to do and uh, not agreed is this is this third country asylum, where, the, in other words, Central Americans in Mexico would need to make an asylum claim in Mexico before and and have that claim uh, adjudicated before making a claim in the United States. And apparently, Mexico did not go that far, but it's at least something that might be considered in the future. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm trying to understand that more because as I understand the way it works is what you're supposed to do if you if everybody's agreed to have that procedure, you're supposed to uh, claim asylum in the first country that you step into right. after you leave your own. Yes. Well, in the case of um, Mexico, that would be Guatemalans, right? Right. So if you're coming from Honduras or El Salvador, your first stop is Guatemala. Your first stop isn't Mexico. So, but the, what the policy does is it backs everybody up. Right. And keeps them out of the United States, which apparently is what the president wants. There were some heroic claims being made by all the statements after the agreement with Mexico came out. Uh, Bill read me one one tweet yesterday in the cab on the way back from another meeting, and my immediate reaction was, that's the promo for tariff man, first blood. And you know, <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a, a sense of, of grandeur about this. But the other thing that, that interested me as somebody who's advocated for free trade for a long time is we now have prominent Democrats uh, aware that tariffs are taxes on consumers and being against them. Uh, Kamala Harris, Senator Harris, who's running for president, did an interview with Univision and said, look, these tariffs, they're just taxes on consumers. Consumers are going to pay more for stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I've been trying to get that message through for a while. Yeah, and Joe Biden's saying it's it's going to hurt the people at Walmart. Right. Who shop at Walmart. Yes. They're not only right, it's correct you know, that, that's economically. All, yeah, they're all right. But, you know, one of the dilemmas here is, uh, from Trump's point of view, um, you know, it worked. Yes. It was, a yeah. ter- it was a terrible tactic, and it produces, if he had actually imposed them, it would have caused all this di- economic damage. But he's going to say, who cares? It, it worked. worked. Right. So I, I want to talk about that. So this reinforces his view that weaponizing tariffs works. Yes. Do it again. And yes. he's and he's now going to pivot back to China. As yes. He he's alluded. already started talking about right. $300 billion coming up. Uh, Unless the, she meets with him and has dinner with him. and Which is the tackiest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> he's going to impose a $300 billion cost on the global economy because Xi Jinping won't have dinner with him. I mean, Please. that's a hefty price tag for dinner. Uh, that's, that's the most expensive that's, dinner ever. Yeah. Yes. And, but in the meantime, there was actually another important issue about trade with Mexico that was set back by this a uh, little charade, which is USMCA. Ambassador Lighthizer sent a draft statement of administrative action to the Congress, uh, much to their their uh, disappointment. They didn't want it. But he sent that on May 30th. That started a clock. And in 90 days would be the first time that an implementing bill could be considered on USMCA. That That's roughly speaking July 9th. So uh, our, we talked before about the USMCA getting approved before the August recess. July 9th is three weeks before the August recess, and having a trade dispute with Mexico interfered with, probably slowed down, the consideration of USMCA because it raised more questions. There were a lot of threats about that when the tariffs first came up. Yes. Although, ironically, the, the, most of the threats came from Senate Republicans, uh, Chuck Grassley and uh, Joni Ernst in particular, saying, you know, why do you expect USMCA to move if 
you're doing all these these other things at the same time. The Democrats uh, surprised me, and I just had coffee with somebody who gave me some insight on this. The Democrats surprised me because it looked to me, if you listen to what Senator Schumer said at the time, and actually the, the Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, said, it was like they were almost trying to goad him into it. You know, Schumer saying, oh, you're not going to, he's not going to do it. You know, he never does it. He always, he always threatens always and blusters and it's, it's a bluff. bluff. It was like they were trying to get him to do it. And I'm trying to figure out why would, why would the Democrats want him, want him to do something that would be such an economic disaster? Um, so what's the answer? The answer, I think, well, you know, who knows? I th- the speculation is that, uh, that uh, two things. One, you know, if he, if he jumps off the cliff and creates a disaster, it's on him. Uh, not on anybody else, and so that they can blame him for they, it. They certainly. can blame him for it. And the other thing is that uh, it gets back to an argument that Scott and I have had in the past, which is where the Democratic Caucus is right now. And uh, I haven't changed my view about uh, of optimism about this, but there are a good number of people in the caucus who just don't want to vote on this. And, and this would be a good th- reason th- not to vote. This would be an excuse. And that was yeah. that was the other point of this. If Trump imposed the tariffs, that would give Pelosi an excuse not to have the vote. And it would be very hard for the people that want to have the vote to come back and say that's a mistake. Right. I think the Democrats are betting, um, this is, you know, his presidency is at its two and a half year mark now. They're betting that his reelection is going to be, you know, based on two critical issues, trade and immigration. Yes, seems that way. I mean, he's giving all the signs of, of doing that, which means they have to sort out what they think about right. both of those issues, right. which they haven't done yet. Read my column this week, a little yeah. plug there. Yep. Uh, but the uh, CSIS.org, you heard it here. They, uh, the Democrats haven't sorted it out, and uh, on trade anyway. And on immigration, uh, I think they've got a view, but they haven't done a very good job of articulating this. Yes, yeah, so they're both complicated issues and both will play different differently in different constituencies. Keep in mind, the Democratic caucus is not all people like Speaker Pelosi or like AOC. There are, there are over 30 members who are freshmen, Democrats, who were elected in districts where, which Trump carried in 2016. So this is a diverse caucus. It's going to be hard to find a point of view on either trade or immigration that that they can stick to and campaign on. You're right, Scott. There's going to be, you know, some candidates are going to take a pretty centrist view. Some are going to go further and further and further to the left, and that's going to play out in the Democratic primaries. Now, for it's, probably, it's probably easier to do that on trade. I mean, trade has always been divided parties, and if you have, uh, if you're from a district that has a lot of trade with Canada and Mexico. You're probably for USMCA just out of uh, stability uh, for the traders. So there, there are ways to get to yes if you're a Democrat uh, based on not party uh, a party point of view or a party consensus, but rather your own economic circumstances that will probably work in, at least in a, in, a, in a House campaign. Well, doesn't this make, the, make it easy for President Trump who can just say, look at these bozos. They, none of them know what they're talking about. I'm the one who's standing up. Um, for immigration policy, and I'm the one who's standing up on trade and keeping America's interests um, safe and sound. That's what he's going to say, and he's going to say it this week, and he's probably going to get away with it this week. Uh, but if a year from now, none of this has worked, you know, and the border problem is maybe not the same magnitude today, but if it's still a bigger problem than it was the day he came in to office, uh, it's going to be hard for him to say, I've solved the problem. I think on, on trade, it's more the, the, the problem that will still be with us then. It's more likely to be China 
um, and, and Europe, yes. uh, the two big ones. Uh, rather, I think USMCA hopefully will will be done by. And then. I don't think anybody but, in his who's for him expects him to solve China in the next two years. Well, he keeps saying how easy it is. Well, you know, but more I, look, tariffs will do the job. Bill's Bill's laid out the, the likely scenario for for the 2020 campaign, which is USMCA will be in the rearview mirror. Will have it will probably have been might even be in the rearview mirror by the end of the summer. That's possible. Yes, but 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 that'll be a done. And I and think I think if I can interrupt, I I my message to the Democrats has been: if you're smart, you'll do it that way. Pass it. You know, get get Lighthizer to make some changes in it. Take credit for the changes. Pass it so it'll be forgotten. A year and everybody forgets it by the campaign. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I I think there will also is likely there will also be a deal with Japan, of some sort. Uh, Pre now, the things that will be still outstanding are trade with China and trade with Europe. They're big issues. They're complicated, uh, and, but they're they're. And the other parties are not as cooperative. That's right. The other parties have have views you, uh, for different reasons and for different dynamics. Uh, but uh, but so that's likely the trade environment of the campaign. Fall yeah. So if, if looking at, at China for a minute, I, I think what's going to happen with the three hundred billion dollar dinner uh, in, in Osaka at the end of the month is uh, best case, they shake hands, and it's going to be like Buenos Aires in November, last November. They shake hands, come out and say, we're going back to the table. This time we mean it. And they start renegotiating. And they, they start, start negotiating. They start again. all over again. Okay. And uh, 90 days from now, they still haven't produced anything because, as we've talked about before, you know, they're not going to give what the president is demanding. In the end, he's going to have to decide whether he wants to accept a weaker agreement or continue the war. And I think either one is a bad political choice for him. If he accepts a weak agreement, the Democrats will be all over it and say, soft on China, poor negotiator, didn't solve the problem. If he continues the war or escalates it, particularly if he does the $300 billion, which will hit a lot of consumer items, which Scott, I think, enumerated last week, then they're going to say, failed policy, enormous pain, no gain, disaster. Um, he's got a very narrow pathway here, and I, I don't see a way through it for him. Hmm. But that's a year from now. Yeah. You know, it's not this week. Right. So it'll be a while till we get to the sequel, Tariff Man, The Red Dragon Rises, or something like that. <laughs> it'll continue to be about that entertaining. So but for, for him, you know, he is a constant um, foil. Yes. He is a constant um, wrestling match partner who in China who he, you know, Americans – don't like Americans, you know, see as the enemy. Americans well, see as unfair traders. See as that's what I'm saying. Clearly, see as un, yeah. see as unfair traders. See as encroaching on the United States in a lot of ways around the world. And they see, you know, increasingly, they're President Trump is trying to paint himself as the person who's standing up to them, and so he's going to keep doing that. Well, and he's, you know, he really has taken ownership of this because yeah. uh, he and both he and she have, have made clear that they're the negotiators, really. That nobody's going to come up, come up with a solution uh, below them. So he owns it, you know, and if there's a brilliant success, which I think is unlikely, you know, that'll help his reelection campaign. But the more likely option is a year from now, we'll be pretty much right where we are now and he'll be complaining Nothing will change, and he'll be talking about more tariffs. What will that do to the economy in a year from now? Anything? I think that depends on the more tariffs. Right. If, if, if he just moans and whines and threatens, it won't make any difference because the, the, the actual economic impact so far has not been that great. If he does the additional $300 billion, I mean, Scott can enumerate this, then you're hitting a, a lot of consumer items. Well, basically, all the tailwinds that came from the personal side of the income tax cut 
back two years ago, will be given back to the government in the form of higher tariffs. So from a tax policy standpoint, you turn, up, roughly speaking, the, the magnitude of the tailwind from the tax cut, and you turn it into a headwind. For Now, that's, that dismisses the corporate side, but, but roughly speaking, that's the dimension. That's going to have an effect. Things are going to get more expensive, toys and furniture and uh, luggage and uh, ele- electronics. Phones, laptops, They'll all get more expensive. Uh, you know, and, and look, manufacturers are thinking about this. Today's Wall Street Journal talks about the Foxconn plans, and, and they're, they're looking for ways to hedge out of China. So that, that's, that's not the only story uh, of that happening. But, but people are looking for ways to make their supply chains more resilient. But they're also, that's a, that's would it be evidence of hunkering down on the sort of the, the, uh, the, the, uh, the disconnection of the two economies. Given that the, the, the two are together about 40% of the world output, that's a big change and could have a lot of unexpected consequences. Now, the dilemma for Democrats is, is it going to be enough just simply to say Trump screwed it all up? Uh, or are they going to have to come up with something of their own? Uh, so far, the one thing they've been able to agree on, which everybody agrees on, is he needs to build a coalition. You know, you can't take on China by yourself. You need friends. And it's ripe for that because all these other developed countries have the same problem. And it would, you know, it's not impossible. It's not that easy, but it's not impossible to put a coalition together. And he's ignored that. Uh, but after that, I think the, where the candidates stand on this, these issues breaks down. And it'll be a challenge to see what they come up with. I don't think any of them are going to be very successful if they start saying, well, the president's just weaponizing tariffs. That in, in and of itself, that that's not going to sway anybody. That was the chamber that said that, not the Democrats. Yeah, so. but I mean, if, if they do. The candidate who said that would be not really very effective. Right. Yeah. Much like the chamber wasn't particularly effective I don't, when they right. said it. They weren't at all. And yeah. so, you know... It, I guess what I'm asking is, does he have any incentive to stop weaponizing tariffs? Not in the campaign. I think the incentive may come from Congress. There were signs on this, this the Mexican thing that there were actually uh, some signs of, of spinal growth uh, on the part of the Senate Republicans, at least. Some of the GOP senators not, did not, not like what they yeah, saw. Not enough, but clearly- A few key ones. Yes, important ones. And I think enough to pass a resolution of disapproval, whether they had two thirds was kind of so. So why did the so why why the spine growth? Well, look, I don't know. That's a good question. Look, they they finally got tired of it. Farm state senators are quite frustrated. Yep. There's also a later hearing later this week in the Senate Ag Committee about predictability in global markets. Right. So there, these are longstanding concerns that go all the way back to us walking away from TPP the third day of this administration. So farm state senators are an important constituency for the president. They're important to getting the rest of his agenda done. And uh, they they're, they're seem to be at the, at take the brunt of any of these tariff actions. So that's where the concerns radiate from. I agree with Bill. There was probably a majority to pass a resolution of disapproval. I don't think there were enough votes in the House to override uh, because House Republicans want to focus on getting the House Democrats to change the immigration policy and blame it on them. And they also are more likely to stick with Trump because they share voters. His base is their base. Well, word on the street is, is that farmers are farmers who are voters who have been voting in these red states for Trump are starting to uh, change their opinion about this because whatever aid package is coming their way can't buy them off 
can't buy off the drought, can't buy off the uncertainty, get, and can't buy off the nervousness and the anxiety that they have about their generational businesses. You're in the fifth year of declining farm uh, revenue. Right. Nationwide. So right. that's that's a tough position for them to be in. And actions that make it worse are going to be even more frustrating. Well, we'll have to see what happens with that. And we'll obviously keep talking about this. And, uh, and return and for more, more Adventures of Tariff Man. Oh, I can't wait for the sequel. <laughs> To our listeners, if you have a question for the Trade Guys, write us at tradeguys at csis.org. That's tradeguys at csis.org. We'll read some of your emails and have the Trade Guys react to it. We're also now on Spotify, so you can find us there when you're listening to the Rolling Stones or you're listening to Tom Petty or whatever you're listening to. Thank you, Trade Guys. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. You've been listening to The Trade Guys, a CSIS podcast.